0: Welcome to the Pendulum Land Podcast. Our podcast is designed for people interested in the right-of-way industry in eminent domain and the Uniform Relocation Act, or it's for anybody who just enjoys a spirited discussion of popular culture. Today's podcast is sponsored by Pendulum Land Services, a full-service right-of-way acquisition firm managed by industry experts who are dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way process. Visit them at PendulumLand.com. With us today is our regular crew. Kristen Bennett from the great state of Texas. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. Ross Green, an eminent domain attorney from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Good day, mate. This is a knife. Carrie Lynn Hirsch from Pendulum Land. Good day, mate.
1: Good day, mate.
0: This is part two of the Pendulum Land podcast's interview of the lovely and talented Australian right of way professional, Andrea Carolan. Listen further. Andrea is a certified practicing valuer and a fellow of the Australian Property Institute. In 2017, Andrea founded the Specialist Valuation Practice Public-Private Property, PPP. Andrea has established herself as a land acquisition and compensation specialist in the land down under, with credentials enabling her to practice in each state and territory in Australia. She's been involved in projects involving transportation, electricity, oil and gas, water resources, and stormwater management, and we are thrilled to have her join us today. We talked about just compensation and this strange concept you have called disturbance. In America, you can't exercise the concept of eminent domain or disturbance in Australia unless the project is for a public purpose. Do you have that same requirement in Australia?
2: Yes, the answer, the, well, the simple answer is yes. And the courts are very, very strict about that. So there's been a couple of um, instances where the notice of intention to acquire has referred to the public work or undertaking. And then um, it's been found later. So that, that was one particular example, which I was involved in. And it was the Commonwealth acquisition of two sheep stations for to expand a um, defence training Um, facility and so one of the sheep stations they wanted to add to their training facilities the other sheep station they actually wanted to use as part of the Indigenous land use agreement um, because obviously they needed to to deal with um, the um, traditional owners as well and yeah it was held that um, the notice was invalid because um, it said for this purpose but actually one of those properties was for a, a related purpose, but not the purpose. So yeah, they're pretty they're pretty strict on that.
0: yeah, we've we've really tightened things up here in the United States in the last ten years on that. And at least in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where uh, three of us here live, they've they've changed the rules on whether you can condemn for a quote public purpose and who you can give you, meaning the condemning authority can pass the property to. Uh, no longer can you condemn for a public purpose and then pass the property off to a private entity or a developer or something like that
2: yeah,
0: so yeah. they they really cracked down. We've had some we had some bad cases in the 2000s that kind of riled up the public and so you know we've got to be really careful about what the public purpose is, and we're called to demonstrate that it's for a public purpose more than we used to
2: yeah and that's that's reasonable.
0: Well, yeah, I guess, I guess. So, who, who in in Australia can condemn property?
2: Okay, so, um, so basically, um, enabling legislation is a prerequisite to compulsory acquisition. So, there are the three tiers of government can compulsory acquire. Uh, you've got our federal government, state governments, and local government. But I guess so. Take it back a step, what I'm trying to say here. Um, but in each instance, they would need to first look to one particular act, for example, the Highways Act. And the Highways Act would say the Commissioner of Highways can acquire land for road purposes. And then that act would direct them to the Land Acquisition and Compensation Act. So in all cases, um, there would be an a- enabling comp- legislation which refers to the Land Acquisition Act. But there is, um, having said that, and this probably contradicts a little bit what I said before about only for a public purpose. So here in Australia, I don't know about um, how it works in the States, but all of our um, electricity and gas transmission, et cetera, is privatized. So there are instances, for example, if um, a transmission company wants to build a new interconnector, which is of, of state and or national importance, and um, they want to use the the power of compulsory acquisition, the Electricity Act will actually allow them to apply to the minister to use that power. Sometimes they'll do it in advance because they just want to get it done and it's a major project status. Other cases, they might do what they can by agreement and then if they've got a handful left at the end of problem children, um, they can apply to the minister to say, we've tried everything, it's not viable to go around them, can we please serve notices on these you know small number of of people at the end and and that will be granted.
0: Okay so so you can confer the um power of eminent domain what we call eminent domain you call compulsory ac- acquisition onto private entities or private companies. And it it, it really skyrocketed the power years and years ago in the United States with the railroads and um We built thousands of miles of rails in the United States in the 1800s. And then there was the uh, Interstate Act in the 1950s, which kind of expanded upon that. But um, oil, gas. Do you have railroads in Australia?
2: We do. We're just building a massive one at the moment, which is very exciting.
0: And are they exercising the power of eminent domain?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. So another question, kind of going back to when we're talking about the payments, who ultimately, if there is a disagreement between the displaced uh, or the landowner and the condemning authority in Australia as to the value of the acquisition, do you have a a courtroom trial like we do? And is there a jury involved that determines the payment?
2: No jury. Um, So what would happen if there's like when the offer is made, it gets paid like on the day that the land is actually acquired. That money gets paid into court. The dispossessed owner can apply to take that money out at any time, even if compensation is not actually agreed. And so then, you know, the parties will continue to negotiate and go back and forth, etc. If they can't resolve it, yes, it does end up in in um, the court, but it's it's not it, no no jury involved.
0: Just, so just a judge. When when you say it it it, it goes to court, what will a judge make the ultimate decision?
2: On which bit on the uh, compensation? Yes. Yes. yes.
0: On yes. compensation. And and you're, yes. I, I'm just. I'm fascinated by that. So <clears throat> we say so and so is the judge and jury. You're, so the judge is going to make the ultimate decision. There's no group of citizens or of landowners who are going to make the decision there. And are your judges elected or appointed or how do how do they get that job? Or do they just They're buy They're not it?
2: elected. They're appointed. They're not elected.
0: Okay, Andrea, how about um, the concept of inverse condemnation? Do you have that in Australia, or are you familiar with that term?
2: I'm only familiar um, of that term well, with that term from listening to you guys on the podcast. So, <laughs> no, we don't have that.
3: Oh, you need to do more research well, then. Don't depend so, on our podcast.
4: <laughs> so you don't have a system where if the government were to not take the proper steps but were to still build a project that the landowner would have any redress?
2: No, so uh, I don't know. Like I, I can't think of any situation where they wouldn't take the proper steps for a start. Um, but what I was gathering from the conversations that I've been hearing, listening to you guys is that there may be, so that the, the example that comes up often That I don't know, you can tell me whether you think I'm on the right track here with trying to understand what inverse condemnation is. So, say, for example, you're doing a main road widening and you're taking the front of these properties, but because there's so much disruption in the general area, all the other properties not having land acquired and not entitled to compensation, their businesses suffer. You know, the, the fuel station not having... Uh, as many customers the convenience store etc but they have no claim so is inverse con- con- condemnation where those people might say well hang on I'm being disrupted just as much as these people and just because you're not touching my land doesn't mean you're not impacting me is that it or not
4: that traditionally is not it in in okay. America that usually is construction disruption or temporary Um, related to construction, and historically that hasn't been compensable. They're trying to move towards that, but the the base example, the easiest example for inverse condemnation would be you're doing a road widening and you go, you know, the contractor, you, whoever does the acquisition work and so does titles for, and I have one of these cases right now, the contractor did, the work for all of the parcels, but skipped one. So all of the parcels on the project got the standard process, but one of them, for whatever reason, got left out of the, you know, call it the spreadsheet and did not get the work done. So the project got built and then they realized that there is a parcel that didn't, uh, have the process completed. And in those cases, you have, you know, potentially sort of what's called an inverse condemnation case. So, you know, traditionally, like, there's old cases in Virginia law. um, There's one they built a road, and when they were surveying it, there was a survey error. So the road was built slightly to the right of where it was meant to be, so it ended up on someone's land that wasn't actually dealt with. So the project gets built, it's on your property, but they didn't go through the process. So you have the ability to force the government to go through the process with you.
3: So just to clarify, Ross, this help me out here. Inverse condemnation is basically a taking without just compensation. Yeah.
4: It's, 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 ex- yeah. It's what happens if, the government has taken your property, but didn't go through the steps.
3: Whether that's because of an oversight, or somebody got out there and a surveyor messed up, or an acquisition agent dropped the ball, like there's there's several reasons that could have happened, right?
4: This is the basic fact pattern. Like there is a obvious physical taking for a project, but you weren't given the usual procedural process. Therefore, you can sue in the U.S. the government to make that happen. Now, there's more complicated you know, add-ons to this. That's the the straightforward one. The next thing on from that is what's called regulatory takings, usually. These are not physical, obvious acquisitions, but the government changes the law such that you can no longer get the economic benefit from your property such that it is classified as if the government took it from you. So they don't physically seize it but they make it so that you can't use it anymore. And that's where most of the litigation that gets any press about inverse condemnation actually exists is what's called regulatory takings. Cause the, the, the base example when it does happen is so obvious that it's just, you know, okay, yeah, we're going to do that. I'm sure. Keep... This so make,
0: this makes my brain hurt. It
3: makes my brain hurt too. So Andrea, like if somebody <laughs> drops the ball there and you guys didn't, Somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do to take care of a landowner and they go build a road or whatever they're building and somebody is adversely affected that wasn't compensated. What happens?
2: Well, I think I've, I've never heard of anyone having to actually take the government to court to fix that. Normally they would go, oops, sorry, and fix it. I don't, I don't know. It <laughs> seems pretty simple. I love Australia. <laughs> this
3: yeah. is great. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I have a follow-up question uh, back to the one judge gets to make the determination. What if you don't like the judge's determination? Is there an appeals process? Is it just the luck yeah. of the draw, which judge? So what's the appeals process look like?
2: Never been through one, but um, yeah, there absolutely is an appeals process. But I will also say that um, uh, the the courts generally um, favor the dispossessed owner. That's the principle. Um, it's one of my favorite principles, the executive trustee principle, which is liberal estimate, um, which is basically saying, um, and I've, I've actually printed this one out so I could read it to you because I thought you'd like it. <laughs> but it's basically said, from time to time, the courts have observed that if there is doubt as to the amount properly payable by way of compensation, that doubt should be resolved in favour of in favor of a more liberal estimate.
0: We're gonna switch gears very quickly I want to talk about Australian music, and I don't know what kind of music you have there, but I want to talk about rock and roll because that's what's Let's big here it. in America. Are you ready? Yes. So what we're going to talk about is what is the best rock band from Australia, and you you can't we we're not like Silverchair is disqualified because Silverchair to me from where I sit is your equivalent of Nickelback.
3: Boo! No, I disagree. <laughs> but let's hear what Andrea has to say. Okay.
0: So tell us what you think best. Well, do you have an opinion, but I've got a lot of opinions about Australian have you? rock and yes. roll. Well, from yes. listening
2: to the podcast, I know you're a, a music person. Um, and you probably uh, know more about Australian music than what I do, but, um, ACDC, I guess you'd have to say ACDC is best Australian band. Um, Back from the eighties. I was a big fan of Midnight Oil. Do you
0: like Midnight Oil? I I'm I'm very familiar with Midnight Oil. They yeah. were they were very politically motivated as I recall. Very um, world is burning, earth is turning, or something like that. You know, and they had a big bald guy that l- looked like yeah. Mr. Clean, who was the um, lead singer of Midnight Oil, I think.
2: He um he turned to politics.
0: I think I heard that. I yeah, think he I heard did. that.
2: Um in excess, hunters and collectors, what about them?
0: Have not heard, very familiar with NXS and Michael Hutchins was. Oh, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're
3: Australia. I don't think I realized that NXS was from Australia.
0: Yep. Hunters and Collectors, I've never heard of.
3: I'm going to no, okay. check that so out. What about you
2: guys? Which um, Australian bands?
3: I, do you- I. You know what? I, I looked up Australian bands because I knew ACDC, and then it was like Men at Work. I mean, it was hard for me to yes. like remember who all is from Australia, and I love Minute Work. Uh, Jet is from Australia. I love Jet. They were really, yes. really popular in their yes. you know mid two thousands. Are you gonna be my girl? Da-da-da-da. Great song. I like Jet, but I, I guess Minute um, Work and Jet. I love, I love both of those. And ACDC. I mean, that's kind of the given.
0: Well, I, you can't just gloss over ACDC because. They were this band, and they had a couple of good songs in the 70s, and then suddenly, and it was either 1980 or 1981, and Bon Scott had died, and they reformed with Brian Johnson, who, I don't know what you think. He's he's the least sexy rock and roller uh, not named Mick Jagger on the planet. But, but, um, So they reformed with Brian Johnson, and they released this album called Black Back in Black, and I was either 13 or 14, and... I couldn't believe it. That that album spoke volumes to a young teenage male in the United States who was full of hormones and bad intentions. And that album, to this day, I can listen to every single song on the album. And as I look back as a 50-something-year-old man, some of the lyrics are pretty stupid, but good golly, some there's some great guitar licks on that album. So. Uh, ACDC is without question the greatest Australian band ever to walk the planet.
3: Good answer. Ross? I mean, do, nobody's brought up like Air Supply.
0: <laughs> well, That's uh, Dave's gig. Well,
3: I love Air Supply.
0: I love Air Supply because I'm all out of love.
4: I'm so lost without you, Ross.
3: <laughs>
4: I mean, Carrie Lynn did establish some like insane Bee Gees factor. I
1: love the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees. the Bee Gees. so andrea i'm going to ask you a question did you see that movie in the late 70s with that the bg starred in with the beatles music called sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band no thank heavens
4: it was awful
1: it was an awful <laughs> movie, but I still love the Bee
3: Gees. I still can't believe there's a movie that's Beatles music with the Bee Gees. It, it was put out in the 70s after the Beatles didn't even exist as the Beatles anymore. This is fascinating to me. It,
1: it was bad. It was really, <laughs>
3: really bad. I mean, and I, I
1: love the Bee Gees. It did not change my opinion of the Bee Gees.
0: Well, I, I have a personal question, Andrea. And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I remember um, in my generation, I wasn't familiar with the BGS before Saturday Night Fever, which was a fantastic album, oh. and I'm still the defender of disco. Oh, boy. And I love, I love Saturday Night Fever, and I like their follow-up album that included the hit single, Tragedy. But, but um, the question I have for you is when I was fifth grade, I think, and, and Saturday Night Fever came out, all the girls thought that Barry Gibb was hot. Did you find Barry Gibb attractive?
2: No. <laughs> because I
0: didn't find any of them attractive, even the younger brother, Andy, who had his own Andy, little solo Andy, career.
2: Andy was the only one that was, yeah. No, not Barry.
3: But, um, I, no, no, the answer's no. Hold on. <laughs> were the Bee Gees the first
4: boy band? I, th- no. I think maybe. They were clearly preceded by the Monkees. No. Think- no. No. No.
0: What? No, the no. monkeys were just a band. The Bee Gees were like the bro- a brothers, were brother's band, like the Jonas Brothers. Yeah.
3: Right. Or Yes. I think it was the first boy band. I just decided.
0: Well, since you're the ultimate authority on everything, <laughs> at, on this podcast at least. So what about the Divinals? Are you familiar with them?
3: I am. Yeah,
0: and I'm not yeah. going to ask you to a recite.
3: A little, little bit gonna, of a one-hit wonder there. I'm not
0: going to ask you to recite the name of their one hit, but... Um, well, I bet they had more than one hit in Australia.
2: Did they? Uh, no. I'm no? More. I, don't, I don't know. I really don't know.
0: Now, there is an Australian band who I'm only familiar with one of their albums, and they were widely lauded in the United States as being very, very talented. And I haven't heard from them. And I can't remember the main guy's name, Neil something, but a band called Crowded House, which I think broke yeah. in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. And I think the guy who was the lead singer of Crowded House was invited to one of Billy Joel's weddings.
3: Why would you know that?
0: I know everything about Billy Joel.
2: (laughs) Um, Crowded House, yes, they were... Was that the 70s, that Crowded House? Uh, No,
0: no, no. It was 80s. Late Late 80s. 80s.
3: 86,
2: 88. Early early 80s. Very, very early 80s, I would say. Um, Yeah, Crowded House were big. And I have a feeling... Those guys, is that the Finn? Neil um, Finn,
0: Neil Finn, that's who it is.
3: Yeah, I'm feeling they're from New
2: Zealand.
0: Oh. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh boy. No. Is, is there a difference between New Zealand and Australia? <laughs> oh, Dave,
3: Dave, I feel like that Jesus. has to be offensive.
4: Uh, mm. uh, what? <laughs> they're only separate countries. That's <laughs> like, yeah.
2: That's like, um, yeah, that's that's like her like
4: saying Canada like, and is America are the same. Between,
3: yeah, Canada and the U.S., is that offensive when people assume that like somebody from New Zealand is Australian? No, not at all. Okay, good. Not
2: at all. The New Zealand accent though is incredibly um, strong and um, you can't, I don't think you can confuse the two well we
1: we We can
3: can.
0: (laughs) yeah i was gonna say because because your accent's not strong at all let
3: me ask you this so a lot of times like when you try and impersonate like i think i do a good british accent it's actually probably laughable and ridiculous let's hear it right (laughs) now let's hear it oh no it's all from harry potter because of my kids but andrea like if you were gonna Impersonate an American, would you just be like, wah, wah, wah? Like, what, how, how would you impersonate like an American accent? Do we just sound like idiots to you?
0: Give it, give us your best impersonation of an American. Uh,
3: No,
2: (laughs) 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 No. (laughs) tomato, that's it. Like, I'd say tomato, you say tomato, you say urine, we say urine, you know. what What does a
4: New Zealander sound like?
2: So they
3: they would say one, two, three, four, five, (laughs) sex. That's the difference. There you go. That's how you know somebody's from New Zealand.
4: She said sex. She did.
0: Okay. Okay. Hey, before we leave the topic, before we leave the topic, one more Australian band that like knocked it out of the park in the 80s and then they were gone. And it was called Men at Work.
3: Yes. Do you come from the land down
2: under?
0: Yeah, yes, yeah and yes, they were
2: yes yes brilliant brilliant and um I have very fond memories of um, our time in Anchorage on the Canadian night I don't know if you guys were there I was and there that cover that cover band I was upstairs and I came downstairs and they were playing um down under and I was just like oh my god this is so exciting I was like, that
3: oh, <laughs> that was a fun night is that the night that was that had like the speakeasy upstairs yes oh yeah I was there yeah
4: And And
0: also like the safety dance.
3: The safety dance.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Andrea, did you come down wearing some leg warmers and some day glow and dance to that song?
2: (laughs) No, but I was wearing a beautiful um, red uh, Akubra. Someone gave me like a Canadian hat with a. You know, the Maple Band on it.
4: It was gorgeous. Oh, I'm a I complete know. idiot. That's a totally different band, isn't it? Yeah,
3: I was going to say, Safety Dance is not Men at Work, but the other good Men at Work song is <laughs> the, Dance. One that one Safety Dance. is Men a at a Work. Band.
4: Dude, it's Men Without Hats.
0: It's <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Men Without Hats, same yeah. as Men at Work. Okay. New Zealand, Australia, all the same.
3: Canada, America, urine, urine, whatever. whatever. Hey, there is another really good Men at Work song. It's the one that's like, uh, I don't remember the name Who of it. Who can not be now? I can't get to sleep. I'm worried about the
0: yeah, they implications. Had, they had three songs.
3: Okay, well, that was the one I really Who liked. Who can it be now? Okay, so we covered them. We covered their entire catalog?
0: No. They had a second album, and it had one song on it, but I don't remember what the name of that album was. Well,
3: I like Minute Work. I really do.
0: Yeah, and that guy, uh, he wasn't exactly a looker.
3: Oh, was he not? No. <gasps> he, yes. Does he kind of look a, like Phil Collins?
0: Oh, no. You know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he had a look.
0: Yeah. Um, Andrea, back to uh, right of way. Um, Do you have any public or political resistance to condemnation or compulsory acquisition like we do? Is it a a politicized process?
2: Politicized? No, not at all. And I'd be interested to hear how and why um, it would be politicized uh, in the US. But no, um, like I said before, we all have our own Um, each state has their own legislation. So, you know, we're all on board with it. We know that it needs to happen if we're going to be building infrastructure. So politically, no. Um, Public, uh, not as a general rule. There's not like, I guess, a a set against it as such. So any public resistance will be pretty much project specific. So it's a bit of a NIMBY thing, not in my backyard. So, you know, um, action groups will be formed in instances where particular groups of people are aggrieved.
3: Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear that you guys say NIMBY too, because we talk about not in my backyard too. And you know, well, here- Yeah, I, and I wasn't sure if you guys say it, that's why. Absolutely, that. yeah, NIMBY is <laughs> a big thing here. But you know, here, it, you're absolutely, it gets, it gets politicized quickly. And we talk about how it's such a polarizing thing, and you know, people that work on behalf of the condemning authorities, such as all of us on this podcast, sometimes get painted as the bad guys. And then there's you know, landowner attorneys that sometimes we think of them as the bad guys. And we talk a lot about like, are we the good guys? Are we the bad guys? But it is it is very politicized here, and there is um, sometimes a, a, you know when. If I, if I go somewhere with a group of people and they say, what do you do for a living? And I mention eminent domain. It's like, oh my God, who invited this girl? You know, it's kind of a bad word here sometimes. And we, we fight very hard. That's part of the reason we started this podcast is to educate people about what it is we really do and how we are we're not the bad guys. Like everybody likes turning on their faucet and getting clean water and using electricity and having access to the internet. And that's because of what we do. It's necessary and it's good for everybody. But here it it very much is that if you're doing what any of us are doing, you kind of have to have thick skin because we are painted as the bad guys uh, very often, which I think is unfair.
1: So Andrea, do you have attorneys who get involved in the process on the landowner side early in your projects?
2: Well, that will depend on the landowner. So the landowner would need to go and engage someone.
1: So the attorneys like, um, don't go out there yeah. and solicit the landowners? I mean, Frequently um, when a project is announced, the landowner attorneys are knocking yeah. on doors before we okay. can even get there.
2: I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think the value, some valuers will do that. I don't know whether the, the legal profession also do that.
4: For but the record, are Caroline, they're
2: actually out soliciting.
4: They have barristers and solicitors.
2: Okay. <laughs> Sorry, barrister. Yeah, barris- they have
4: barristers.
2: Okay. Yes, we do have barristers. So the barristers. So do yeah. the
1: barristers solicit the landowners? And you're saying no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. So the bar- a bar- a barrister is um, somewhat admitted to the bar as distinct from a solicitor. So I don't know what. Uh, What's the... Like council. Right. Barrister's council.
0: Okay, so we talked about the politics. Why why do you guys in Australia need to condemn anything when you have so much land out there?
2: Before I answer that question, (laughs) I just want another little aside. So when... um, This is another right-of-way conference uh, little story. So I was sitting at the International Luncheon. I was sitting next to a South African guy, and... I can't remember what it was but someone was referring to the term condemnation he looked at me and he said that is a very threatening term and I said that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking so just a note to use to you that you might need to just do a little bit of a, a public relations uh, freshen up on that term because condemnation sounds
0: like I said, very threatening. <laughs> well, Andrea, say, I mean, you started. <laughs> okay,
2: term. you drew You're first. Condemned.
0: You drew first blood here, but I will remind you that you use <laughs> the term compulsory acquisition.
4: That's not <laughs> threatening.
3: Not like condemnation.
4: Yeah, no, <laughs> that like sounds Andrea much better. And actually, sometimes they call it compulsory purchase, which I think sounds pretty cool.
3: It sounds pleasant. Yeah, that's that's the
2: um, that's what they say in the UK. And I agree, compulsory purchase also nice. But um, yeah, so the question, back to the question. Uh, what was the question? It
1: was. <laughs> don't we don't know either, Andrea. It didn't matter. It, it didn't, didn't matter. matter. Oh, why,
3: do I, I, why do we need to condemn anything? Yeah, why do you need to condemn anything when you guys have so much land out there? Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> that's actually a very good question. That's, a, that's we're, a stupid we're question. we coastal dwellers. We're all just like, we just hug the coast. Like, apparently, like 90% of us live within 50. Kilometres of the coast. It's it's. Um, I think yeah, we're just keeping away from the black mamba and the cassowaries
0: <laughs> and the cone
4: spiders because
3: they're oh, all in the middle. The Blue ringed octopus. No, actually, the thing they're actually
4: nah. keeping away from is the emus because the emus yes. won the war.
3: Indeed. Yeah, emus is stupid. What are what? <laughs> really What's are. an emu? Oh, uh, the Ostr- my, you... They're like an ostrich. My grandpa used to raise them. Yeah,
4: and in they New had, Mexico. The, the Australians had a war with them, and the emus won. <laughs>
3: What? Okay, Andrea, I I do have something really important I'd like to talk to you about. As you know, every time I pipe in, it's something really stupid about Americans and Australians. This will be no exception. How do you feel about Crocodile Dundee?
2: Oh, the first movie, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great.
3: This makes my night because I got to tell you, Crocodile Dundee, I think, across the board, is pretty beloved in America. And we say like, oh, that's not a knife. This is a knife. Like We quote it. <laughs> we love it. You know, part two and I think maybe a part three maybe got a little out of hand. Yeah. I love Crocodile Dundee, but I've always thought, like, do Australians see this and go, God, what are you guys doing? What a dumb movie. Because I love it. I think, every- do y'all love it?
2: Nine, 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 nine. I think we were very proud of it, actually, and it was, it was great because like it was New York and then it was in the Outback, and it was like this real mixture of cultures and stuff, and I think, yeah, I think we took a lot of pride in that because we're like attention-seeking. Yay, the Americans
3: are watching us. Oh, <laughs> uh, we were watching you. I wanted to move there and go on a, an Outback adventure.
4: I was going to say, yeah. everybody well, in America wants to move to Australia pretty <laughs> right? much. I'd like
0: to move to Australia right now. Me too. And do some, instead of relocation, I'm going to do some disturbance work. I'm going to do some compulsory acquisition. Yes. And a judge is, is going to make the decision, she, not a jury. We cannot
3: stay with Andrea. She does not like house guests. Because it's, like, <laughs> it's like fish. Yes.
0: Huh. Well, tell tell us, Andrea, like, tell us about uh, an American movie that is popular, that you're familiar with, that you just don't understand, or you think is ridiculous. Uh. Kind of catching you off guard here, but that's okay. It's our podcast.
2: Oh, I don't know. Um, do you know what? You know what movies I really can't stand is Jim Carrey movies.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes you and everybody else, right? <laughs> no, well, but how
4: do you feel okay. about Will Ferrell movies? Well, he's brilliant.
2: Yeah, and you know who else I love is, um, so Owen Wilson.
3: Right. Yes. oh yes. yes you know we yes. we we love the wilson brothers on this podcast we talk about them a lot oh he's got a brother i didn't realize
0: luke See? wilson because <laughs>
3: owen's the best one yes andrea he does have a lesser known lesser talented brother named he luke. is
0: not lesser known or least guys the dark haired of <laughs> the brothers you're just andrea is just a blonde and she sticks with her own you know the other blonde I guy. i
3: love owen wilson andrea you're on the right yeah track. i watched
2: a movie um not that long ago
3: midnight in paris oh i love was, that movie it was so cute. Yes, Charming movie. It. Charming movie.
4: How do you feel about Mad Max?
3: Ah,
2: uh, see, I did see that back in the day. I thought it was disturbing. Same. I, I wasn't. <laughs> I don't really like that kind of scary kind of. Yeah. No. What I... about you? Like, I, I haven't. I can't really remember what it was about, but it's, it's a bit dystopian, as I
3: recall. It is dystopian yes, and absolutely. like makes you feel dirty. Yeah. It's not good.
2: Yeah.
0: well let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit what do you think about Mel Gibson he was the hottest actor and he was in the lethal weapons and we loved him and then he kind of he had a bunch of kids and jumped off
4: the deep end and and he
3: said some pretty bad things and he's ostensibly
4: Australian since he moved there with his family when he was 12 do you
3: guys claim Mel Gibson
2: yeah I didn't know that he wasn't a native yeah he's
4: born in America but then
0: they moved there when he was a kid he's got an Australian accent
2: yeah, I thought yeah. he was Australian,
0: oh, and he and he, and he could rock. No he, he could rock that mullet in the um, in the late eighties.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: but yeah, I love no, him.
2: he um he was huge, absolutely huge. What do I think of him? I don't know. I guess um I don't know. You do different push. He's a push. <laughs> He's a push because
4: <laughs> I, I loved Mad Max, and then I loved Road Warrior, and now Thunderdome was a bit much. But then the, the and then the newest one that he wasn't in that's in the sequel in the series is the best one ever, but the first two were great.
3: What about um Braveheart?
4: Oh yeah, no, Braveheart's awesome. Oh, they gutted that guy. Oh. Yeah.
3: Braveheart's disturbing. Speaking of disturbing.
0: Yeah. And do you do you claim Russell Crowe or is he not Australian?
2: We do claim Russell Crowe. And you- I believe he is a New
3: Zealand citizen, but he, he he lives here. He looks like us, he smells like us, he smells like us. <laughs> what about okay, so what about Hugh I know Nicole Kidman is Australian yeah. and you should claim her. And then is Hugh Jackman also? Yes he is. And, but, yeah. and the Hemsworth The listen the what's up with the talent and beauty coming out of yeah. your country what and are your you continent. All? My goodness what do you guys eat exactly. and drink?
4: Now but to be fair, that one Nicole Kidman movie man, that was I don't know if they claim that movie.
3: Which one? Wasn't it
4: Australia? With yes. Tom Cruise, yeah. Yeah. What? Oh.
3: I never saw that one. I think she she's. Oh, pretty eyes good. Wide. No, I I eyes w- no, Eyes Wide show is no. awful. Like, just Can't, get look, that but, away from me. No, but Far and Away. Far and Away. But that all. wasn't it's Australia. Maybe it was on the soundtrack, by the way, for that one.
4: That's Irish immigrants to America. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but
3: she's Australia. We're just talking about Australian actors and okay. are talking about Australian movies. But
4: she had a movie about Australia.
3: Oh, she. Okay. Australia. Yeah. Oh, clever name. And
2: okay, <laughs> I can yes, remember that. And it's um, it was when uh, the Japanese
3: bombed Darwin. And, oh. Yeah, it's really quite fascinating. I'll have to check that out. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, her and Hugh Jackman, and really, y'all, there's just there's so much talent that comes out of your part of the world. It's unbelievable.
1: Andrea, you mentioned to me uh, a mo- a movie that you liked. Uh, I think it was called The Castle yes Can you Yes. Tell- yes and
2: I highly recommend um this movie to anyone who's interested in the right-of-way industry um it's it's as it's as, as Australian as as you'll get like um it's very funny and very topical so it's about um a working class family who uh, live next door to an airport and uh, their home is being compulsory acquired to um, expand the airport and it's it's you just have
0: to watch it. And and you after it. you mentioned it to us the other night, I actually looked it up on IMDb. It was very highly rated, and I'm going to figure out where to watch this.
1: So is it a... Yeah, you can get it on iTunes.
0: Okay, okay. Is
1: right. it an actual... Act, act, is it an act? Accurate. Why can't I say that word? Is it (laughs) accurate? Um, (laughs) An accurate portrayal of the process itself, or is it a spoof?
2: So uh, that's an excellent question, and I'm glad that you asked, because I would hate you to watch it to the end and go, oh, is that how it works? So no, the high court ruling is not how the court would rule (laughs) in real life.
1: Okay.
4: I like how it says in the IMDB description that they hired a hack attorney. An attorney,
1: (laughs) not a a barrister. He's
2: gorgeous. His name's Dennis Benuto, and he's just, like, he's clumsy and he's awkward and he doesn't want to take the case. But um, his client, like, you know, he just insists that he does. But eventually, um, like, a QC, which is Queen's Council, uh, gets involved, and and they – I'm not going to tell you what happens.
3: No no spoiler alerts. We're going to have to watch it.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. Well, Andrea – um, we have taken a lot of your time this morning, morning for you, evening for us, and I want to sincerely thank you for working us into your schedule, for getting yourself up at 3.30 in the morning and getting yourself ready for this. It has been a delightful discussion, and we are so happy to have had you, and um, perhaps we will we will. Bring you back on another time, and I hope at a minimum the world gets back to normal and we get to see you in San Antonio, Texas.
2: Oh, gosh, I hope so, too. It's not looking good, though.
0: No. um, You
2: know, even if the conference happens, I just don't think that we're allowed out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You might bring something bad back with you from our country.
2: (laughs) But, yes, I really, really hope that um, we can all get together face-to-face. But, uh, yeah, anyway.
0: Well, even if not thank in tw- you. if even if in our pleasure, even if not in 2021, 20, maybe 2022. So listeners, thank you for joining us for the Pendulum Land podcast brought to you by Pendulum Land Services, LLC, a full services right-of-way acquisition company dedicated to the integrity of the right-of-way industry. Visit them at PendulumLand.com or on Twitter at Pendulum Land. This broadcast was produced by Right-of-Way Consults, LLC. You can reach out to our resident experts on Twitter at Kristen, at Right-of-Way Ross, at Right-of-Way Dave. See you later.
3: Do you come from the land down under?